So, just me and you today, Jerry. Hey, listen, man, let's get Harvey in, man. Like, it's always good when it's three. I think Harvey be a strong addition to the team. You know, he's not really, he's not pro Goodwin at all, actually. <laughs> we, Harvey said he'd never attend a Goodwin show and he definitely wouldn't pay to attend. He one. hasn't. To date, he hasn't. So he has stuck to his word. Yeah, that's what you call commitment. He, like, um, like, he's literally been dogged in his commitment <laughs> to it. <laughs> Welcome to a stripped down New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and on his lonesome, in terms of someone with any boxing knowledge, Terry Chapandama. Yeah, the human Harvey. <laughs> um, Martin is at his, well, I mean, he would say it was his wife's, but you know, I think he's been enough of them now to at least claim some percentage of them. The face, the... Uh, <laughs> Fache. The well, you know. Irish dancing face that, you know. that I know Martin doesn't like talking about his many successes, but I just want to, you know, say to him that he's he's been a world champion. He's done it. He's 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 taken that world championship for for the men a couple of years ago now. I think he's been I think he's been supplanted actually in the last couple of years. But prior to that, I think he won it two years in a row. Enough to clear that up on uh, Twitter for anyone who cares, which I imagine is not a lot of people. So let's talk about boxing instead. And, well, I actually watched some boxing last night. Thanks. Thank you very much. Like, stop clapping at whatever you're listening to. (laughs) Stop clapping at the device. I can't hear it. I know it's happening. But I did watch some boxing last night, albeit that I streamed it because I wasn't prepared to pay for Dirty AJ versus Dirty Povetkin. Um, oh, mate, look. But, <laughs> but we can talk about that a little later on. Um, yeah. I just had to snap into attack mode, man. I was all relaxed and stuff. This fucking beanbag, man. Shit. Oh, yeah. So Terry's gone. Terry's doing the Google hipster thing today. And it, I mean, I'll take a, I'll take a picture. And I won't take a picture of him. No, no, no. Listen, <laughs> then people know who the fuck I am. I don't want to get beaten up. <laughs> But he is, I, I've never seen a man so chilled out, if I'm honest. Just here singing and shit. He has got it down. Okay. If you just sing us into the first fight that we're going to talk about, Terry. You don't have to cry. Ah, there you go. It makes me want to cry, though. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Rene and Angela. Um, right, so... I think the first one we'll go into is the Wembley card. Yeah. Unless um, you've done anything exciting this weekend. No. Nah. obliged to ask. Well, managed to avoid watching most of the boxing, so big win for me. Yay. <laughs> okay. No, look, look. I've got a few, a few voice notes from Martin, actually, to stick in regards to the fights, which I will put in. Are we going to do live or editing? 
No, I don't think it will work if I if I, I tell you what, I'll try and I'll, I'll have a look, see what it sounds like. Yeah, because I don't know if yeah, doing it live, like you know, you know, you know, Martin loves that full three D effect of his voice. Right, test complete. And um, Martin is going to be speaking down the phone to us live, uh, but not answering any questions or interacting with us in any way. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just going to basically play them down the uh, microphone so that, um, yeah, so it doesn't mean I've got hours of work at the end of the podcast. And so he's here in spirit. He is. Obviously, he's here in spirit. Although I don't have any questions from Tartin Mirbol today, which has got to be a first, actually. Actually, hold on. Oh, you've got a question from Tati Mirabod, have you? I'll, uh, I'll, um, I feel a little bit pushed out if he's uh, sent out. No, no, this is, uh, no, this has been fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> is he going to answer? Hello, mate. Mate, how's it going? You having a little boogie, a <laughs> little bit of a dance, hey? You having a little bit of a dance in the boogie there, are you? Mate, someone come here. Or, you ringing a bomb threat or something? <laughs> no, no, we can't because we're recording the podcast, so we can't do it. <laughs> you call me live, I'll give you uh, my breakdown. Well, we've got you live now. You're being recorded. We will do, mate. I'm, done. I'm absolutely done. Oh, mate. How long you got? How long you got to do it? Well, time me out now. Uh, what day is it? I've fucking lost track. Quarter past two on a Sunday. Quarter past two on a Sunday. I'm not getting out of here until six o'clock earlier. Oh, fuck that. Ah, oh, well, now we try to help oh, you, mate. Man. Sorry. We try to help you. I've been depressed since watching Lawrence Acoli, Matty Askin last night. Ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have my sympathies. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's a bit more coordination and a bit more style in what you were watching today. Uh, no, I've been out. Do you know what? Instead of watching the dancing, I've been out doing a barbecue outside. Fucking middle of September, doing a barbecue. I'm freezing my balls off. <laughs> it's, it's still preferable than watching someone do a slip jig or something. Uh, <laughs> I'm done. I'm oh. done. I mean, like, right. Right, we're going to jump in now and, and just, you know, machine gun anything we can. I'm hoping that he's actually going to be audible in this recording. All right, you take care. <laughs> take care. All right, bye. Bye. That was actually Martin live. Yeah. But we'll have his... If you, if you heard any of that, apologies if you didn't. Apologies if that was inaudible, but I won't know until post-production, so... Yeah, we might just chop this bit out. <laughs> um. Right, so let's go in then, so, set the scene for yeah, last so, night for so, us. So let's go back to earlier in the year. And it was, we don't need Wilder. We can sell out Wembley without Wilder. Anthony Joshua sells out Wembley on his own. He could put anyone in with, you know, it was that whole narrative because they were trying to downplay how important the Wilder fight was for Joshua commercially and from a legacy perspective. And then they hid behind the... The Povetkin mandatory, right? It was like, okay, now we've got to fight our mandatory. Doesn't matter because commercially it makes no difference. We'll sell out Wembley. And they did the whole thing of announcing a two-fight deal with Wembley, you know, getting the additional seats to take the capacity up to 90,000 or wherever it was. They did all of this stuff. Because you you definitely need that for the two most underwhelming fights that he's had in his last two fights. 
Yeah, you know, based on those previous performances, it felt like hubris of the worst kind. And it felt like they'd almost started to believe their own hype. So fast forward through all the bullshit. And from what I hear, Joshua trained as nuts off in camp as always, you know. And look, let's give Joshua his due. You see the guy in shape consistently. He's putting the work in. You can never say that guy cuts corners when it comes to training. So fair play to Joshua. At this point now, these these are not attacks against Joshua. This is just the attack against the whole edifice that seems to sit around him. So about three weeks ago, I was hearing that they were giving tickets away. Like to various, you know, sort of feel-good groups. If you're a firefighter in some areas, you got free tickets. If you're a paramedic, you got free tickets. They were giving free tickets away. You weren't hearing about ticket availability on StubHub. You weren't hearing about tickets going for three or four times face value for this fight. This fight was nowhere near a sellout. They're trying to tell you 70,000 people were in attendance. But if 50,000 people bought tickets, I would be shocked. So financially, it wasn't what AJ Klitschko was. You imagine if you're StubHub and whatever model you have with Matchroom, you imagine this one's not going to look good. At the end of your Q3 reporting, this is not going to look good. So then you come into Saturday and it's a complete washout. So it's absolutely pissing it down. You've got people walking around in ponchos like it's a year seven trip to the London <laughs> Planetarium. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just as a logistical piece, it must have been a nightmare being there. It looked great to watch on TV. Let's, be, let's give Matchroom their credit. They know how to put on a show that looks good. But people just getting absolutely soaked there. Imagine you're there 150 meters away from the ring and all you're doing is just getting soaked while you sing Sweet Caroline. That's the sort of thing that turns fans off going to see a Joshua fight. Because now you're there going, am I going to go to Wembley in April? It might rain. Fuck that, am I getting cold and wet again for a fight that I can barely see. So, so... This isn't a good commercial enterprise so far, right? I know people say, well, that's 50,000 more than Fury could sell. And maybe that's the case. But Joshua's working to different financial projections than Fury. And according to his own projections, it's not enough. So already you've got that problem. The second problem is the card's not that good. Joshua Povetkin, I can buy into as a fight. Yeah, no issue with Joshua Povetkin. Buy into that as a fight. Okoli versus Askin. You asked me on Friday, I buy into that as a fight. I say, okay, I see the logic in this and I see how this could be a good fight. Campbell Mendy, I didn't care about. And that's no disrespect to either of them. But I thought Mendy was a deserving winner in the first fight. And I think the second fight, they just paid him a hell of a lot of money for Campbell to restart his career. But let's just remember, Luke Campbell is about 45. He's, despite the the youthful look in his face. And then you've got Dan Azaxa, who, for the love of me, I can't understand how he made it onto the card. So good, good work, Steve Goodwin, getting him involved. You've got David Price, who... I, I, I had so little respect for David Price over the last 12 months that I actually just respect him for sticking at this. So I was like, yeah, let's just see. He's he's not going to win this fight, but I just want to find out how he doesn't win. And then you have poor Chris Congo, and I just want to touch on this. So Chris was the float on the night, and Chris didn't get to fight because it seemed that everything ran to time and distance apart from the price fight. So he wasn't able to 
you know, he wasn't able to be on that big stage. And it's a shame because I still think Chris Congo is this talent that hasn't fully blossomed yet. But we need him to blossom because he's the perfect foil for a Josh Kelly. So if someone can just get behind Chris Conga, get him the right fights, the right environment, get him in with the Josh Kelly, and let's have a rematch of that 2013 ABA. I think it was the final or the semi-final. I can't remember at the moment. But let's just, let's let's do that. So, so at this point, this is a card I'm not obsessing about, and I'm benchmarking it against the Dillian White pay-per-view, which was better. You know, the Dillian White Parker was better. Dillian White versus Lucas Brown was better. They were more enjoyable nights, they were more enjoyable occasions, and they were more memorable than the AJ pay-per-views. And so that's that's what we're walking into here. We're walking into a pay-per-view that we kind of don't care about because it's not the pay-per-view we thought we were going to get with Wilder. So into that now, you then have the things starting to fall apart. So didn't see the Danazak so far. I don't know if he fought. If he did, feel free to tweet me how it went. I don't think broadly speaking, people care. The fight I did see, the Akoli chamberlain fight, and I know you watched this as well, Andy. I, actually, no. <clears throat> I didn't actually watch Akoli Askin. Uh, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? The uh, Akoli Askin. Right, sorry, I, say, I, I say chamberlain. chamberlain. You did, yeah. Mate, um, <laughs> well, it's probably the same fight, to be <laughs> fair. <laughs> no, so um, apologies for getting the names wrong, but look. I do, you like, wanna, look do you want mm-hmm. Do you want it, Martin's take on it before yes. you dive in? Okay. In that case, I will go straight for Martin's take on the Akoli asking fight. Straight to the bat phone. I know we have uh, ears that are close to Lawrence that listen to this, but I'm not going to hold back because of that. That fight was atrocious, and 90% of the blame for that lays at the door of Lawrence Akoli. And actually Victor Lachlan as well. I'd go as far as to say, I don't think if he was an away corner fighter, that fight would have been allowed to go on. I think it was very favourable based upon, you know, being who he is, Lawrence Acoli and the Lynx. It was garbage, trash. If Anthony Joshua had won 21 of his fights by way of doing that, there would have been no last night. There would have been no Wembley Stadium. People wouldn't turn up to watch it, and people won't turn up to watch Lawrence Acoli. He'll forever be an undercard fighter if that's the way that he goes about his career. Now, I get his effective. I get that's a style that suits his physical attributes, but don't expect people to be interested in it. It's now two out of three fights, the Isaac Chamberlain fight and now this one. Two out of three, there's a common denominator there of which the fights have stunk the place out. It's awful, awful to watch. I've not been that bored watching a boxing match in fuck knows how long. And I would purposely go out of my way not to watch a Lawrence Okoli fight in the future based upon what we've seen. The Luke Watkins fight, you give him credit for. He did a good job with that. But Isaac Chamberlain, and then last night against Matty Askin, you can make the argument Askin should have found a way to deal with it. <sighs> Those long arms just wrapping you up. It was so crap to watch. Askin wasn't good by any means. But, ah, nah, it's just terrible. One of the worst fights I've ever had to watch. So I think Martin enjoyed the fight. What did you <laughs> think? What did you think, Terry? So I think the listeners know that I'm close to the cool box guys. They're people I consider to be friends above all else, irrespective of boxing. They're friends and they're people I respect on a human level. And I've spoken highly about Uma. I've spoken highly about Muzzy. I've spoken highly about Dan Aziz and Lawrence. And I'll continue to do so. 
Martin's absolutely right. That was an absolute stinker. Now, I can only have one theory on this. And the theory must have been they expected Askin to be better than he was. You know, you come up with Askin. Askin has got the 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 amateur record, you know, the 2008 win and everything. You know, we've discussed that before. And, you know, Askin's built this this reputation of being a hard man, despite the fact that he's got three defeats. And, you know, you're hearing stuff they are. He's sparring Huey Fury. He's doing this, he's doing that. So I can understand on one level why you're there training thinking Askin is going to be a, a shade down from fucking, you know what I mean, Alexander Usk or Tony Bellew. And so you go, right, we're just going to stifle him. But after that first couple of rounds, Lawrence should have realized he could take Askin out if he just managed the distance well. And it wasn't like he was accidentally falling in. He was consciously falling in. And that kind that has to stop. And I know they're going to make the excuse that he was fighting for a British title in his 10th fight. My friend Leon Williams ex-clubmate box for the British cruiserweight title in his 11th fight you know there are guys who have boxed that British cruiserweight title in 10 fights as well it's not unusual because the British cruiserweight title is not a storied title it's where the fat light heavyweights used to go and fight each other for another payday guys like Dennis Andrews just moved up in weight to go and win that belt so it's not like this is a storied belt where if you do it in 10 fights it's a miracle it's not like, you no, know, like I just said with Leon Williams and Leon Williams was an undersized cruiserweight and you know, Shane McPhilman, don't know if he did it in the same time, but there's no excuse for what Lawrence did. And I think Lawrence has tweeted out that he saw the fight back and he thought it was bullshit. So hopefully he's not going to get offended when we say, when people are paying money, pay-per-view money for a fight, it is your job to entertain. Now on the next gen shows, if you just want to get the win, a win's a win. I take that. On the, on the Saturday fight nights, if you're on the undercard for Crawler versus Burns, I get that. You just need to get your wins, get your learning fights, whatever. On a pay-per-view, you want execution. I want execution. I want Lawrence O'Coley to stand behind his jab and work. Why are you throwing lead hooks? You know, why are you throwing lead hooks? You didn't need to throw lead hooks. There was no logic in that. You did, you, Lawrence could have won that on a one-two because Askin didn't have an answer. Askin couldn't punch his way in. He, right. was, he was trying to walk his way in. Speaking about um, the the technical, the way that the, the fight unfolded technically, right? The question I would have is why did it unfold like that? Yes, so what you had with Askin was Askin wanted to shut the distance down. That was the, his first priority was to get in and then work, right? So traditionally you're taught punch your way in. So if you watch old Tyson fights, for example, it was rare that Tyson would just march in with his guard up. There was always a jab or a feint. He needed you to react to distract you so he could shoot in and work. Matty Askin just tried to walk him down. Like no, there was no guile. There was no subtlety. There was no intelligence behind what he was doing it was so crude and basic it was horrible to watch so uh, just so, I, i'm not right i've to reiterate i'm not an expert but if someone's doing that shouldn't you if you're a talented technical boxer shouldn't you be able to exploit that lawrence isn't 
what you'd call a talented technical boxer. And by that, I'm benchmarking it against someone like a Fraser Clark. You know, someone who's a veteran of the amateur scene, like they've got six or seven years of amateur boxing in their locker. Lawrence has been fast-tracked for the last five years from a gangly kid boxing at Dagenham to the GB squad, to the Olympics, into the pros, get him a Commonwealth title, get him a British title. He hasn't bedded down hit the fundamentals. I don't think he's even bedded down his own style. His obsession has been with winning, so he's done whatever it takes to win. Now that he's British champion, his team, his management need to now stop and go, Lawrence, we need four or five fights now where we can just build and firm up your style because we need to make you entertaining. You can't go into the heavyweights boxing the way Lawrence did because you'll get thrown about. It's not, you'll get thrown about and Martin's right. I can see there being a case and I thought this in the Akoli fight for a disqualification. The ref had to pull him up for head work the ref had to pull him up for holding. It it just, uh, it was like a street fight. That's how that's how it felt. It felt like it was a street fight. But Lawrence has got the win, and he's. I mean, the achievement shouldn't be downplayed. Congratulations. But he's been honest enough to say he watched it back and it was bullshit. So I feel vindicated in saying it was a horseshit performance because he's better than that. He could have just used his reach, his footwork, his range, and just hammered him with the right hands like he did Watkins. I don't think he tried to hurt him once. It was just, it it was technically bad. And in terms of the occasion, it sucked the life out of the crowd. So is there a danger then going forward that, like you're saying, you know, you need a few fights now to bed down your style, get get it figured out right. And hopefully in those fights start showing you can be a talented boxer. Is there a a danger going forward that when he's in more challenging fights, he reverts to type and this what comes out later down the line? And against the technical boxer, like you're saying, oh, sorry, against a a better stand of opposition and a a heavier opponent, perhaps, it would get thrown about. Only if he moves up to heavyweight. He's he's so big at cruise that he'll get away with that against Just because you mentioned heavyweight earlier, I assumed that was a natural sort of uh, progression. I I, I think once he's won what he needs to win at cruiser, he'll move up. But but refs are going to be on him now. When you lose, you lost three points in a fight. Can you imagine asking was any good? (laughs) Well, how many points have you got to lose before you are disqualified? So... Or is it just... I think, I think it's three times for the same thing is a DQ. Yeah. I think the problem comes is if, if, you're, if you get a warning for head work, then you get a warning for holding, then you lose a point for holding. You might get another warning for head work. When it's different things, it's harder to pin the dis- <laughs> you, you almost. I remember c- on fight night, you could go low blow. If you did too many low blows, you get disqualified. Yeah. Once the low blows are gone, then you go in with the head work. Yeah. <laughs> then you chuck a few elbows in. And, and, and that was the... <laughs> And, and so that was the thing. I think it was just, you can't just aggregate all the sins and disqualify someone. It had to be persistent fouling for the same thing. See, that kind of, that, you'd have thought that a referee can go, well, hold on there, mate. Because there's, there's only so much, you know, how, how many times, if, if you are, uh, as, the, as the recipient of those fouls, that, those aggregate fouls, as you, as you just said, they're going to stack up. Yep. They're going to they're going to amount to quite 
a, a, a quite a great disadvantage against you. And if that doesn't it doesn't give it, uh, lend itself to a disqualification, then why doesn't every boxer do that? No, honestly, it's it's referee's fault. And the problem you have with refs is they say they're enforcing the rules, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that they keep getting work because they love boxing and they love what they do. So their incentive actually is actually to keep going. What I want refs to do is like the guy at the US Open, the guy that penalized Serena Williams, enforce the fucking rules, right? Enforce the rules and just go, right, this is how I'm going to define holding. If I see you move more than twice and it ends up in you holding, I'm going to call that deliberate. You lose a point. After your first two warnings, you're going to keep losing points until someone loses six or seven points and gets disqualified. Let's start making this because how many times have you watched really good fights and the refs never had to step in? Yeah. Or they don't. And there's one persistent thing that keeps... You're watching a fight and you think, ah, this is good. When it gets going, it's good. And then... One of the one of the boxers does something like you say, holding or something, and it just breaks up the fight. And you're thinking, no, I don't want to see that. And the ref, because yeah. the ref's not stopping. Stepping so, in. so I'd like to see refs enforce that a lot more, because I don't think it is like they don't police it the way that it should be. Because there's this myth that you gotta let a bit of it go. It's all part of the game. It's not part of the game. And we judge pay per views to a different standard because we've paid extra for this. Therefore, we demand extra. You can't just give me bullshit on a pay-per-view night. Um, moving forward then, what have we what have we got to hope for? What can we hope for from both boxers? Um, I think Askin will float around the scene. He'll probably get a fight with Isaac at some point. Um, or Chris Billum Smith. You know, that's Askin's level. Now Askin is kind of the the Frank Bullioni of the cruiserweights. He'll always be that guy that's a tough fighter at British level, but I don't think he has any aspirations to move beyond that. And, you know, good luck to the guy. He, he's, he's an engaging guy and he's, he's generally good for boxing. So good luck to Matty Askin. Uh, I would like Okoli to stabilize now. This thing of, I just want to keep collecting belts. It was good when the belts were held by people who were beatable. But you're going to do more harm to your career than good if you don't build a knockout-friendly style. Lawrence has all the tools to build a knockout-friendly style, and I think he now has to dedicate himself to boxing to the full extent of his capabilities. He doesn't need to hold. Uh, he, he's got the reach. He does not need to hold anybody. And I'd just like to see that stop. Because I'm a fan and I want to sit there and tell you that Okoli's in fights that we will remember 20 years down the line. Um, Luke Campbell to call Mendy. I'd watched a part of this fight, but I was sort of flicking. Um, so everyone knows Campbell's story. Um, he's like a small Callum Smith in a lot of ways where Campbell wins an Olympic gold medal and his career never really went anywhere afterwards. He had a lot of promise, wasn't there? There was a lot of hope. I remember going to, uh, actually, the, the event, actually, I forget. But I remember going there and a couple of the guys, we were walking past, sort of talking about Luke Campbell coming out. Oh, yeah, big things for Luke. They were expecting to see a world beater coming through the ranks. Well, look, Campbell's an experienced amateur. Like, he's been boxing, he boxed international level as a junior, 
think he won the ABAs in 2008 or he was there or thereabouts. You know, he wasn't a young man when he won the gold at London 2012. I mean, I think he might be slightly older than Joshua. He might have been 24. I don't know. I don't even know how old he is now, but Campbell's the wrong side of 28 now. And he still hasn't won a world title. I know he put in a gutsy performance against Linares, but those who listen to this podcast know that I think Linares is the most overrated boxer out there at the moment in terms of <laughs> what he's actually done versus what people think he's done. So I think Linares is overrated. And that's not to say his talent's not real. His achievements aren't as real as people make out. So Campbell, I thought that Linares was beatable at the time. But remember, he had the initial loss against Mendy. He wasn't supposed to lose that, but Mendy is just that tough, hard African fighter who's just there saying, listen, I'm just going to grind you down. I think, you know, Campbell's had issues. He's moved from trainer to trainer to trainer. You know, he was with Jorge Rubio, who's now with Isaac Chamberlain. That didn't seem to gel for whatever reason. And I don't, I've not really looked too deep into that, but he's now with Shane McGuigan. So we will see how that style evolves. You know, Shane has his own way of working. We'll see what that does for Campbell. But Campbell's got all the, the skills, the tools to be someone special, if, if only for a couple of years. But in this Mendy fight, what you saw was what you should have seen in the first Mendy fight. Just the composure, the ability to just keep the scoreboard ticking over and leaving Mendy increasingly desperate towards the end of the fight. It's a fight that I think Mendy will have to look back on and go, if I'd just gone for him in the first two or three rounds, I might have changed the complexion of the fight. I don't think Campbell was intimidated in there, and I do not think he was under pressure at all. But it was more, it was a fight that led nowhere, really. I know they say it's the final eliminator for a world title, but it didn't, for, for Campbell's legacy, it was just righting a wrong, and that's all well and good. But, you know, what's Campbell really going to do next? Should we hear what Monsieur Theobald thought? Theobaldio. Solid enough job by Luke Campbell. Um, Clearly a different fighter than he was last time against Mendy, and you could put some of that down to Shane McGuigan, I guess. Wasn't the most exciting fight in the world. I still want to see Lewis Ritson against Luke Campbell before we see anything else. Um, Because I just want to see how he'd handle that, because Mendy came on with the pressure, but did he really do enough with it to, to cause Campbell any problems no it wasn't the wisest pressure applied I'd like to see Lewis Ritson have a go at it and then the winner of those two moves on Terry Lewis Ritson Lu- Ca- Campbell's levels above Ritson no like let's not get sucked into this Ritson hype because <laughs> like Ritson's done a lot against very average people Luke Campbell is not an average boxer Luke Campbell Will, call, will pose problems that Ritson hasn't got the skill set for or the experience to deal with yet. Luke Campbell has, look, he still has those feet where he can get in and out. And Ritson relies on you being immobile so he can detonate. Um, let, let Ritson define himself. Let him build slowly. You know, Campbell, Campbell's two or three years ahead of him at the moment. Should we hear what he's? Uh, should we move on to Price Kuzman? I'd like to know what Martin thought about this one. Okay. That should be the end for Pricey. 
that should be the end. He's had so many opportunities, and we still hear the same story of, you know, when he lets his right hand go, he can knock out anyone in the world. Like, why are people still believing that? Because he did let his right hand go, and he didn't knock him out. The stuff about his, his uh, bicep, whatever it was, I don't know, ruptured, torn. I don't buy it. Like, maybe there's a bit of a problem, but he was gassed out of his ass after four rounds. That's got to be the end for him. Like, stop giving him opportunities. Whoever's doing it, like somebody, somebody needs to tell him his time because I don't see a way back. There's no interest in there for me. So I have a friend. <laughs> so, so, so I've got I've got a good friend of mine, Linton. Linton is an up and coming trainer, um, fellow lodge boy, and he's had a torn bicep for about a year now. Like he had it fixed and it snapped again, and he just hasn't been back in to have surgery. So he has a lump in his arm, right? And he's not as strong on his left arm as he's on his right. But if you said to Linton, would you carry on fighting? He did carry on fighting when he, when he tore his bicep. So David Price could have carried on fighting. There's no question about that. Because as people say, you know, he's, he's got power in both hands. I think sometimes what happens in these situations is a good compassionate manager goes, me sending you back out is only going to do you more damage. And I sense what his corner did was say, do you know, this is the honorable way to pull you out. We'll pull you out. At least you've got your dignity. There's a story here about why you pulled out as opposed to you getting starched or being left hanging on the ropes, you know, like, like as if the Eiffel Tower fell over on some electrical lines or something. But I don't know what you do with David Price. And I, I don't know why he keeps boxing. I don't even think he, he, has, he doesn't box like he's got the desire to box anymore. And you look at it and you go, Who's forcing him to box? That's what I'm trying to understand because it's not like he's just boxing on like a Goodwin show or a Dennis Hobson show. Or it's not like he's boxing on a Frank... He's boxing on a bloody pay-per-view. And he seems to be getting these prime slots. And they're not deserved because he hasn't beaten anyone where we'd want to see him on a pay-per-view platform. So you're asking yourself who's pulling the strings in the background and why David Price? What there's, there's gotta be more to it than what, what we're seeing because Price hasn't been good for a long, long time. And, you know, he, he had a little, little uptick in his fortunes when the Anthony Joshua knockout rumors came, came out, but bloody hell, the guy, the guy's done. And, He's not getting any better with age. I wish he'd see it for himself and just accept that he can't... I mean, it's just over. Is it a case of, I don't know what else to do, so I just do what I know? No, because he's not stupid. Price is a reasonably intelligent guy. I met him about uh, just over 10 years ago. He's not an idiot. And he knows the sport well enough to know that at the moment he's not very good. You wouldn't like it's, it's I'd fancy John Pilata to knock out David Price right now. And he's only had two fights. I fancy George Fox to do a number on David Price. He's had one. That's the level I put David Price at now. David Price is a guy 
who could get turned over by novice heavyweight pros. Power. <laughs> I knew it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> I <carry> power. <laughs> Right, let's get him a microphone. No, 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 I'm Shem Terry. I'm a, I'm a keen observer. <laughs> right, so somewhere, somewhere in Milton Keynes. <laughs> this is a social the, experiment. See if a fish can run without his main eye candy being there. <laughs> Are you just on a lunch break? Have you told them you just needed an hour for lunch? <laughs> I've left my dad to man a barbecue. Oh, oh. Did, you, oh, did, you just run, did you just run from there? Yeah, Claire, Claire doesn't know I'm here. So when she listens to this podcast... <laughs> That's going to be weird. No, no, do you know what? Listen to it with her. Be sat there next to her. So, but Martin, I saw you yesterday. When did you record this? I'm in. I'm in. No, he's not. He, he, he's talking into a microphone. That's not plugged in yet. Is it plugged in? Yeah. Ignore me. I'm just here as an observer. <laughs> Are you fucked? <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, two became three. It's like a like a weird form of pregnancy. It's an inverted Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs> now, right, where are we? Okay. We're, we just we just, just heard actually uh, Tartin Mirbols talking about David Price that it should be the end for Price. It is the end of Price. He's embarrassing. There's no heart. So, Ooh. I was going to ask you, what is it he's got? Because we've just been saying that he's he's. It's not like he's just been boxing and he's been floating around small hall shows or whatever. He's been on high-profile events. Yeah. And he hasn't done anything to earn that. He's not won a significant, meaningful fight since 2012, Matt Skelton. Probably, yeah. I can't think of a fight. And that was a wash match Skelton. That wasn't a peak Skelton. And peak Skelton was hardly a, yeah. a great achievement. Didn't boost you onto world levels. But there's a, the myth that he's got this right hand that can knock anyone in the sport out. Someone show me it. Someone show me that right hand in action. <laughs> Someone send me a clip where it's proven that David Price's right hand can knock people out. Johnny Nelson said it, therefore it is true. It's bullshit, isn't it? It really is. Um, yeah, Johnny Nelson's been getting shit this week. Has he? Ah, well, if you say that Tony Bowie's going to outbox you, sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nice one. I think we should start Nelson's column. Just um. <laughs> a selection of the greatest Johnny Nelson quotes each week. Right, so we have covered, we've already covered Akoli Askin. We've already played your... Um, have you? Yeah, so you have... Fair to... play, by the way. I just want to notice, Lawrence Akoli's put a few things on Twitter today saying about how bad he was. When he's watched it back, he's embarrassed of how bad it was. And I like that because most people do it when they lose. He's done it when he's won. And so I, I think that's a good touch. We're just, yeah, that's what... So what we were saying about that was, bottom line is, on a pay-per-view, we're paying more, we expect more. I had a, a conversation, Dean Bedford, I think he's linked to Dan Aziz in some way, maybe does his PR, his tickets. Yeah. He was, um, like, embarrassingly defending the Akoli stuff when I cunted it off on Twitter last night. <laughs> now, look, I know we've got people, as I said in the little voice note, that listen yeah. to this that are close to Lawrence. So, But I'm not going to hold back about that. Look, it was embarrassing. And this Dean bloke's like, oh, no, that's an awful thing to say that you said. No, because, look, Lawrence agrees with it. <laughs> like, why is it so bad that people yeah. say it? But I appreciate that Lawrence says it himself after winning. Yeah, Most yeah. people would say it after losing. I like that about Coley. Um, Campbell Mendy. We've already, again, Don't we've really covered, care, no, if I'm okay. honest. So the Lewis next, Ritson smashes him. The, <laughs> uh, the, that's where we disagree. <laughs> nah, I think, I think Ritson would do a number on him. Someone um, with educated pressure. Or... Next thing to cover is AJ Povetkin. And before we go into it, 
at at the end of the fight, I actually had Povetkin up. So just to underline what we were talking about last week, I have fucking no idea about judges' scores either because all See, the judges had AJ up, didn't I, they? I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk in further depth, but I thought Joshua was comfortable in that fight. Like, not as comfortable as he's been in other fights, but if I'd been watching that as a trainer in a sparring session and I'd been watching what Povetkin was doing, I wouldn't be worried. I thought he got shaken the first... Well, in the first Two round, rounds. But, but big men are hitting each other. I'd expect yeah. someone to wobble at some point. Do you see what I mean? So so it's... But Joshua's elevated himself to such a point and people are so keen to see him lose. Just him shaking on his legs like that is enough for them to get excited. And I, and I understand that. But when I watch that, I'm like, we've all been hit with that shot. Um, Domac and Ladi's done that to me a few times where... You just get caught with a little left hook and your legs just do a little dance. And you're like, Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. one of the journeymen, I can't remember which one it was, tweeted last night. Oh, he might have broken his nose. Oh, God forbid he's broken his nose in a boxing match. <laughs> like when they made such a big deal of it on the uh, on the commentary. But yeah, but his nose has been a bit fragile since Takam put the nut on it. <laughs> but no, look, I'm going to reward Joshua because it was the first time I saw Joshua being intelligent in the boxing ring. If you look at the first round, what Povetkin was able to do comfortably was pull his head off to the right of the center line, right? Old school move, watch old Joe Lewis fight and you'll see it. You know, he was just able to lean his head off to the right, which meant that that Joshua jab was missing. And Joshua was like, but your feet are in the right place for me to attack. But the head wasn't. And so Povetkin was, you could see, in the first round, you could see Povetkin had all the tools to win this. He had three different ways of defending the jab. He'd either block it, he'd slip or he'd step back. And he'd never do them in a pattern. So Joshua couldn't read it. So now all of a sudden, the very thing Joshua relies on is his jab. And he hasn't got access to that for that first round. Because Povetkin, A, is giving him, as Malinaji would say, he's giving him a different look every time. But Povetkin's moving from left to right. So he's dominating what I call, when I talk to boxers, the safe space. Because you can't get hit. If you're outside the guy's lead hand, you can't really get hit. First round I gave to Povetkin because of that intelligence. He was controlling the action. And if you notice, when he threw the right uppercut left hook, it came from that safe place and Joshua couldn't read it. Immediately in the second round, Joshua starts to move aggressively from right to left. So that stuff that Povetkin was doing in the first round, he couldn't do anymore. Joshua shut the door on him. Which meant Povetkin now had to go from his right to his left, which is walking into a Joshua right hand. And it's also letting Joshua just tap him with the jab. It's far easier. And that was the pattern of the fight, really, is Joshua had that control because he wouldn't let Povetkin move from left to right. So Joshua had full control of the ring. And it left Povetkin... Well, Povetkin had the option of just leaping in. He wasn't really coming in behind a jab. He did try that a couple of times, didn't he? Yeah, he was just leaping, raiding attacks. But you'll do that for half a round until Joshua then realises what the trigger points are. And then every time you trigger, he takes a step back. So you're missing with those wild hooks. And then, halfway through round three, when your lungs fall out your ass, like having to Povetkin, you just you just stand there and get pasted by Joshua. It's like he shared a training camp with David Price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's when you... And so, progressively through the fight, Povetkin became more and more 39 years old. Despite what the commentary were trying to tell you, he became older and older with every round. And 
he kept making these little mistakes. So if you notice, I've now figured this. When Joshua drops that hand low and he flicks the jab to the body and everyone thinks, oh, he's setting something up. What he's doing is he's telling you he's fucking tired. Yeah? So he'll throw that jab or he'll faint it. So you take a step back, he gets two or three breaths in. Yeah? That's what he's doing. He's recovering. So for any boxer out there that fights AJ, here's a tip. If he throws a combination of greater than four punches and you survive that, jump on him because he'll look for a rest immediately after that by flicking that jab at your body. Just put the pressure on him and he'll be like, fucking hell, this is killing me. That's how you get to Joshua. But Povetkin was so determined to knock him out that there was no, there was no setup. There were no feints. There was no jab to the body. There was no real work that you could look at and go, I see he's setting this up for a knockout. So was Povetkin's game plan then on face value to try and knock him out in three rounds? Just bomb him out, yeah. Just catch him with that left hook. Because it certainly didn't look like he had a long game plan. Like, I thought to myself, you must have known, like, the he must, Povetkin, this is, must have known that he wasn't going to survive 12 rounds. Just because he was gassing after, like, four rounds. You're thinking, and, and he then, must have known that he was going to be ball bagged after so, four so, rounds. So I'm watching round five, and he's making the mistakes now of, he's panicking. Whenever Joshua does anything, he panics. And he's using two hands to defend one shot either high or low. And then you're like, if Joshua clocks that, he's got he's going to set him up for something. And that punch that initially stunned Povetkin, if you notice, he just it's a throwaway jab to the body. Povetkin drops both hands. Now, I don't know if he was trying to counter with a, with a low hook or a low jab to the body, but why the fuck would you do that? It was the same thing that Groves did, if you remember. <clears throat> when Groves up against the ropes, against Froch, and Froch gave him that throwaway hook, Groves didn't need to counter that. And had he not countered it, he would never have got knocked out. And you do, you make those mistakes when you're tired. And Povetkin made that mistake. And Joshua threw the most relaxed right hand I've, I've ever seen him throw. It was dead straight. There was no tension in the arm. And when it hit Povetkin, that, that was game over. It was like the right hand he hit Dillian White with. Just was, do you know when you can just see from the way it lands, you're like, you're not surviving that. That's... That's as crispy as you can hope for. And then once that was done, Povetkin didn't really have the heart or the tank to survive that. And look, I'm going to just put it out there now and say, I was impressed with AJ. I thought that was a good win. And when someone says to me, oh, he beat an old Povetkin, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. We can't, we can't keep shitting on these opponents. You know, he, he beat someone who came to fight. That is his job as a world champion. He did what he's meant to do. I'll still say the same thing. There are only two people we care about Joshua fighting. <laughs> so everyone else is much of a muchness. Dillian White again, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Povetkin rematch. Or no? <laughs> no, so as a seven round fight, AJ got AJ won. It was a devastating finish. It was a dominant finish. He was never really under any tactical pressure. And I don't think his heart was called into question. And I don't think he was in any danger of getting put down. So I think... That's a solid seven and a half, eight out of ten win for me. I can't quote you verbatim, but um, last night, one of your tweet, I think it was a tweet anyway, said Wilder beats Joshua. But largely, you were, you were in agreement. Did I say that? <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe I did. Or did you <laughs> there we say, go. Or, or do you say ISIS? I mean, I, I still believe it, irrespective of whether I did or didn't say it. But um, Yeah, I can't. I have uh, to find it now. But, no, um, yeah. 
I think that's true. But you, but you, whilst Terry was praising Joshua, you were nodding along. Like you were in the yeah, yeah. One thing I tweeted last night is that um, you have to give credit to Joshua for beating everybody who's been in front of him and doing it dominantly. Um, you know, everyone he's knocked out, and if he hasn't knocked them out, then he's hammered them over twelve rounds. Joseph Parker, to the point that it wasn't questionable whether he'd won or lost that fight. Um, so if you ignore who's not been put in front of him, everybody that's been in front of him, you have to give him credit for beating them. And yeah, you can say Povetkin is off the juice, he's 39 years old, etc., etc. But, I mean, outside of Wilder Fury, he's cleaned up. There's nobody else well, in that division now, really. I did see a tweet last night, I said, how can you ever go at Joshua when his last four opponents have been Povetkin, Parker, Takam and Klitschko? It's yeah. because it's a good point. You can, no. on the basis, none of them say Wilder or Fury. Fury yeah. isn't his fault. Wilder, maybe, whatever. But you have to give credit for those wins. You have to. Yeah. And yesterday's performance for me, if, if, if what's coming out now is true and he was ill and he's been nursing a back injury, but I think we've talked about AJ's body starting to betray him about now. We've expected this to happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see him take an extended break like, through the rest of the year you'll just see him in Dubai. He's not fighting until April, is he? So he's not going to get back in camp until January earliest. Yeah. And now you look, I'm looking at AJ and I'm like, how many years have you really got left in you? How many years of that brutal training? Because everything he does is ballistic. <coughs> how many years of that have you really got left before your spine starts to give up and the MRI shows your discs are blackening? You know, it's... It, I feel for him. It can't be easy just being on that hamster wheel. But but I, like I said before, the one thing Wilder did, and I want to talk about how Frank Warren's owned this weekend later. I think we did you hear his interview with Barry Hearn on yeah, uh, Radio so 5? Ah, it's wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. I think I tweeted something along the lines of, that's what happens to Barry Hearn when someone asks proper questions. And did you see Barry Hearn was then like, well, I'm not going to come back yeah, on it. <laughs> like, a, like a child. <laughs> and then Frank was like, I'll, I'll be, I'll be here. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was so good. So it's like good. 50 50 is like, you can't have 50 50. That's out of the question. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. But look, let me reiterate my point. I have no issue with Joshua as a human being, I have no issue with Joshua as a boxer. The issue will always remain with that massive edifice that exists around him. The bullshit that comes out of that edifice. And I'm sure that if you ask him to be honest, he doesn't stand behind most of that. It's just the cost of being Anthony Joshua. But it's just so annoying to have to wade through that bullshit on a regular basis. That's what turns me off. And I know Big yeah. Don Smith, who trains Craig Richards, is always on at me for having a go. And I say, no. What I don't like is I don't like bullshit. I like watching Joshua. I like the fact that the afro was there, the beard. He looked like a heavyweight from the 70s. He know? did, yeah. He, just, he, he, did. Looked, he looked like a that savage. struck me as well, yeah. And I, and I was like, that's what I want to see. I was happy when I saw that. I was like, if you look like that when you fight wild, I'll cheer for you. I want to see that, this mad beard that says, I've just had enough. And then there was the interview where he was like, I'm having a midlife crisis. I don't know what he, how he defines midlife. And then he knows when he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. where he was just saying, look, all I wanted to be was world champion. Now I'm world champion. I'm like, it's not as great as people think it is. He goes, look, I'm seeing all my friends who are in their late 20s, early 30s, and they're off on the beach chilling, enjoying life. And look at me, I'm in a one-bedroom flat. I'm with you. I had no issue with Joshua whatsoever. No issue personally, professionally. It's the sky hype machine. And I'm pretty sure if they dug up Muhammad Ali's corpse 
and tried to sell him for like the April fight, they would be telling us he was an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> like Amateur pedigree. Amateur pe- they, they would genuinely be doing that. They say, well... The Rather than mention the fact that he's a corpse. No, 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 no. That would just make him awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Unorthodox. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I find that it's, it tarnishes my view of AJ, if I'm honest. Like, just because... I can't get past all the fucking. I'm with you, and it's not his back. fault necessarily. But he has sold his soul to them, hasn't he? But wouldn't you for the millions? Like, what well, what else can he do? Like, he's thinking in terms of. I think I, his family. I think I probably would have done right, but I think I would now be regretting it because there is there comes a point when you have enough money. Yes, I accept that there'll be, there's more money in the wings, but you'd have enough money to be comfortable. You think actually now. Now I've got the comfort. I'm actually starting to regret the fact that I can't express myself the way, you know, the, y- your priorities change as the more comfortable you're right, you become. You're right, because to an extent, when did his contract run out? We don't really know, but this year sometime, September, October, he could, on that basis, he's got enough money to last the rest of his life and his kids' yeah. lives. Should he, well, he does have a kid if he has any more. I'm sure they're set for life. He could walk away from the sport right now and say, ah, sod this, I'm off to go and live so on an island in the Maldives. So then his priorities change, don't they? It's like, why do I still want to be in the sport? It's not to gain riches. It's to, oh, wait a minute, I can't do any, anything else other than gain riches because I've sold everything else to yeah. the Hearn machine. I don't blame him for doing that. But I say, no. if his priorities have changed to that level, he's always got the option of walking away. Because you can see him bristling now, can't you? Like when he talks, you can see the, the, that sense of there's more that he wants to say. That he wants to, because you know, he wants to deviate from that matchroom script. Because I reckon if, if Josh was here today and we turned all the microphones off and said, Wilder, he'd just tell you I'd rip his fucking head off. I'll rip his head off. I'll go there now and rip his head off. He strikes me as that sort of person. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so he's not the problem here. He just Josh will fight him and, and it'll be a competitive fight with Wilder. I think based on what I saw yesterday, Wilder might have a field day in some areas and he might cause them problems. I think Wilder's activity, people forget Wilder can throw upwards of 50 punches around and be consistent with that for 12 rounds. So that's interesting. But I don't think Josh is backing down from that fight. Um, that was the disowned debut. Yeah, and there doesn't seem to have been much static in terms of people complaining. It seems to have been relatively pain free. I think there's. But then, do we know how many people would have viewed it through disowned? <clears throat> we'll never know. I suspect. Yeah, they'll never reveal the real figures. But at some point, nah, no, they're a private company. They don't have to. But, but I think there was some freak that you know. Do you really want Sugar Ray Leonard? Yeah, I, when I saw the announcing lineup, and they had fucking Todd Grisham, who used to do the wrestling. Really? Like, yeah, he's part of the broadcast team now. He does MMA as well, doesn't he? Yeah. They, I think we've said it on this podcast, haven't we? Not to repeat myself. We're going to struggle to give any kind of hope to DAZN in America. You think? I a streaming app for what ten dollars a month. Dad to watch that horse shit yesterday. <laughs> yeah, but that's due the content, not okay. the idea. Okay, right? so what am I going to watch today on the zone? Reruns. Yeah, I want to go and watch a Coley Askins <laughs> because I don't feel like I've watched it enough. It's like it's like self-flagellation. <laughs> no, because if you're into gay porn, 
That'd be really good to watch because just two men all over each other touching, rubbing. You watch gay porn. Nah, it's better. <laughs> I feel like I've earned it. No, it's, it's a more, you know, if you want to be a closet gay porn fan, you could watch that. So, um, also, Anthony Joshua decided to put a poll up on Twitter. <laughs> and it was, uh, it doesn't actually ask a question, does it, on the poll? It just has uh, Wilder. The options to to vote on are Wilder, Fury, or White. And no, no, I want Ortiz. You want you want him to fight Ortiz? I want him to fight Ortiz. Or I just next. want Wilder. <coughs> Look, Car- he's, he, all it was was cast your votes hashtag AJ Boxing, and oh, that's uh, that's one of those soap PR people. At the last time I looked at it, it, it was it was yeah, well, five percent White. Yeah, it was still 5% white. And it was, well, the last time I've got here is 54% and 42%. I don't get who's winning out of this. Like, I don't get what the value in doing this is. Because if we accept it's most likely going to be white. He he knows. He must know no one cares about him fighting Dillian White. I would say, like, out of all the... If, if we go back to what you were saying earlier, okay, take Fury and Wilder out of it, right? White is probably the, the person out of the rest... Probably the person I'd like him to see the fight. That, but that doesn't say a great deal because I don't want to see it. I didn't want to see him fight Povetkin. I want him to see far- Wilder. But if Wilder and Fury get, you know, beamed up by aliens in the meantime, okay, fine. White is the only the the most credible opponent out there that I'm interested so, in. So this is why we need to respect whoever it is that's advising Wilder, because Wilder's played 2018 like a genius. Right. Call out Joshua beat Ortiz, the boogeyman in the division, right? So in terms of opponents you have beaten, Wilder sits higher. You can't name me a Joshua opponent better than Ortiz. You can't name me one. So Wilder's already up here, and Wilder said, we will produce the money. And I found it interesting that Hearn gave an interview after the fight where he was like, they never had 50 million. But before he'd already accepted they had the money. Do you see what I mean about... Didn't he the, do those two other interviews that contradicted themselves yeah, as well? Yeah. Like, I want to see the money or something. I can't yeah, remember. All of, these, all of these lies and all the Wilder camp have done is stay true. Like, we will fight him. Let's just talk about the numbers. They definitely lost the battle of the the war of the words there. The the Hearn and Matchroom yeah. side of it. And thing. then I love the fact that Wilder's team have now got an enemy in the camp in the UK in Frank Warren just yeah. doing their battling for them over here. Yeah. And so so now you've got Wilder Fury, which is a bigger fight than anything Joshua can put on now. And that's that's bubbling away. Even if it doesn't happen on December 1st, they've already taken all the shine off. Like, this is eating away at Joshua because the fans are like, well, why are they making it happen? Why is Fury coming off a two-year layoff and going, I'll fight Wilder? And this guy here has been boxing for the last 10 years solidly and he's scared of him. And that's how the fans are seeing it. But going diving back into Joshua's mindset, <clears throat> how long is he going to tolerate the idea that? Well, like, I'll say it, even if, like, it's at this point, it's definitely not him that's arguing about the money split. It's everyone else around him wanting bigger, bigger portions of that fight purse. Remember the interview that Eddie Hearn gave, where his statement was. We own Anthony Joshua for the next three years. <laughs> when, when was that said? It was, I can't remember. It was like on Sky Sports or something. And Because they, they asked him the question about the Wilder fight and, and it happening 
in the US. And he was like, we own Anthony Joshua for the next three years. And then they cut back and they cut back to her. And he goes, no, no, no. We own the promotional rights to Anthony Joshua for the next three years. And I remember just thinking, you just revealed everything there. When, Josh, was, that, when was that said? Earlier this year? No, it wasn't, even that, it wasn't that long ago. Mm. It was because they were talking about... Oh, good. That's, a, that's an exciting... <laughs> like, um, I can't, if someone can find that interview where Hearn says that, that'd be fantastic. Because it was about, well, why can't Joshua fight in the US? Obvious question. If the money is right, why can't Joshua fight in the US? Well, we own the promotional rights to Anthony Joshua. What the fuck does that mean? Actually, can someone explain to you what owning the promotional rights of Anthony Joshua means? Does that mean that he can't engage in boxing only? Or do you own the promotional rights for anything that he does? You know, there are all of these things that... It's, <coughs> I'd love to see the, the paperwork because it's not just one contract, man. There's all this... It, there's something about it where you'd almost feel sorry for Joshua if you knew what the real amount was that, that he gets out of all of this. Because I don't imagine he's making all of the money that the others are. Yeah, I, I, for me, it, got, it will get to what I feel sorry for uh, the Joshua side of things is at a point of him wanting those, it's just umbrella term, let's call them riches, he's, he's signed this contract and at some stage that's not become, as I sort of, sort of hinted at earlier, unimportant to him because he has enough behind him and at that stage he's gone I want to do this and let's just say for example it's the Wilder fight and they've gone yeah there's not really enough money in it for us unless he accepts to an 80-20 split and Wilder's like are you kidding me I'm not going to do that and then while and then Joshua's going you know what what can we do then and Matchroom have effectively done what Warren then spoke to Barry Hearn about. And they said, you're thinking about it like an accountant and you don't want to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. I'll take a guess. There's been at least one phone call in time where Joshua has just ended it with, well, just fucking tell me who I'm fighting then and hung up. <laughs> yeah. 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 So but- going on to that interview, that, uh, that, sort of squabble between Barry and No, 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 no wait, wait, no, no, no. Oh, okay. We, we've got to talk about how Frank's owned this whole weekend, right? Okay. So everyone woke up on Saturday, on AJ Saturday, right? Um, the matchroom numpties are still using that, that AAJ oh, fucking hashtag, aren't they? Bunch of fucking child porn watching fuckers. <laughs> After Anthony Joshua. Yeah, we do. Can we do lunch? Oh, AAJ wankers but no so, so so we all wake up right and it's like fury's done his video wilder's wait 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 video. before we even go this far let's roll it back to was it monday where frank did the ifl interview yeah. where he said no we're not going to do anything on aj fight week like we're not that childish we're not going to get involved in that kind of thing nothing's going to come out during joshua fight week like that's not what we're about then we get to saturday <laughs> It was just fantastic. It almost makes it even more childish, doesn't it? <laughs> we wouldn't do that. Oh, we would do that. Really? Yeah. And we're going to lie about it too. <laughs> but no, no, honestly, wake up on Saturday, you've got Fury lacing up the old boots. Now, I don't know if they really are yes. old Emmanuel Stewart boots. I didn't care, but I loved the, the way that he had done that. Like, you're like, oh, okay. You're, you're, you're serious now. And yet, while uh, just casual as you like, yeah, we're going to make it happen. And you're like, this is more important than the Joshua fight, man. Because, because the very thing these these match FC dickheads 
always talked about was there's been no progress. All we've heard is that it's on. So you get that little that little step of progress, which you knew was coming. I think we predicted that something would happen today. Uh, yesterday, sorry. And so you get that. Now we're talking about that fight. So what do they call, in psychology, they, they call it anchoring, don't they? It's that, that first big thing that you encounter frames all your experiences of the thing afterwards. So now that we've seen Fury Wilders on, whatever we talk to Joshua about is going to be framed with that. What does this mean for Joshua in relation to him fighting one of these two? So Warren's owned the agenda. Then he was on Fighting Talk on BBC Radio 5. Like, fighting Talk? He was on there. Frank was on there. And you're like, is it that little panel show thing yeah. that they do? Bing, and then I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But he he was on there, and you're like, fucking hell, this guy's everywhere today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at this point, you're like, this is all. This is Frank's day. He's taking penalties on Soccer AM, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> just do, like like a <clears throat> casualty, and he's there in the background. <laughs> For, for all the shit and, and Frank presents <laughs> Saturday night takeaway. For 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 all the stick we've given Frank about not being with the times and stuff, he's nailed this. So by Saturday, the Joshua fight, you're like, this is just a prelude to us wanting to know what's gonna happen with Wilder. And then Sunday happens. I think it's Gary Richardson on Sunday who does Sports Week. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's fucking brilliant. Gets Barry Hearn on and Barry's just crowing about, you know, ah, successful night. We sold three billion tickets. <laughs> we we generated more income than the GDP of Canada and Australia combined. And he's like this. Just and, in program sales. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then it was just like, we got Frank on the line. You know when you just hear something and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> And Frank just played it down the middle because Frank knows he's got the Trump cards now. He's got Wilder and Fury. The two people the fans want to see Joshua fight. So, so Frank's on the other side of the line going, look, we've got what you want. Will you fight us in April? Oh, wow, wow. You know, go do that, that, that the Barry Hearn croak. Wow. Subject <laughs> to terms. Yes. And he's just, and Frank's just got him on the ropes. It's his body shot after body shot. Just grilling him. And and the, the problem is, because the Hearns are so used to the, the IFL-type questioning where there's no follow-up, he wasn't used to Gary going, Gary Richardson asking Or Five questions. Live, to be honest. We remember when we listened to the Five Live boxing pod? Yeah. And they did exactly the same thing, <clears throat> softballed him, everything. Yep. And then Gary Richardson there with, you know... Frank there, and uh, yeah, there was no such thing as a softball question in that whole interview. I don't think you'll get another five live podcast with Barry Hearn on no, it, ever. not following on from that ever. But it was, but that's what you wanted to see. And you, you're left now. Look, we're, we're coming to the end of Sunday, just going well played, Frank Warren. To be fair, I mean, not that it really matters, but Frank has a distinct advantage that. He's got to talk like a normal person, ask the questions that any normal fan would. And all this time, Hearn, well, uh, Barry Hearn's got to try and stick to this stupid idea like, oh, yeah, but and, and spin this yarn that everyone's been frustrated but about. The problem is somebody holding them to account. Yeah. And that's the problem is that for all this time, as you say, they've had these softball. Nobody's been there and sat in their faces, Eddie or Barry, and said, this is what you said six months ago. And now you're contradicting it with what you're saying yeah. now. Nobody's done that. And suddenly you give Frank Warren that opportunity and it gets messy quickly. And that's what's <laughs> lovely about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it is. And it's that wider <laughs> thing, isn't it? 
You know, you look at your Twitter timeline and every dickhead is a microphone and a camera now, right? Us. <laughs> chief dickheads of microphones. No, no, we don't have a camera yet. No, but look, look, we're not doorstepping boxes and shit like that. And you're looking and you're like, I'll get all these things in my timeline. I get all these invites to watch a video and like it. And I'm like, actually, most of the stuff is horse shit. Most of these interviews are horse shit. I don't give a fuck about that guy. I don't give a fuck about that guy. You're not even asking any questions I give a shit about. How about all you guys out there sit at home and go, who's going to care about the questions I'm about to ask? Because I don't care. Like, I don't care about your views. I don't care about your revenue model. I don't care about your little passion. If you're not giving me the product I need, fuck it, fuck you, fuck your product. <laughs> Straight. <laughs> And 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 anyone that thinks it's about them, cool. Get hold of me. I'll tell you what I think honestly, because I'm bored of this now. Everyone's got an exclusive, and then you read it, and it's like this isn't exclusive at all. They said this stuff last year, in the year before, in the year before that. Okay, moving off of AJ Povetkin, I think there's something might get your uh, your blood boiling potentially. Um, I want to go on to the Billy Joe Saunders and the videos earlier in the week. Because I, I mean, I'm more interested as well because we have the pair of you here now, which I didn't think we was going to have at the beginning of this pod. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I was expecting, <laughs> like I said in the, in the message, yeah. for him to abseil through the window. I'm here. Fireworks go off. This was a pure last minute. Like I said to my dad, I could fuck off, couldn't I really? Harvey told yeah. me. And he's Har- like, Harvey yeah, did. but I'd have to do barbecue on my own. Mine? Mine? Is that a yes, dad? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> yeah, no. you would. Sweet. Bye. No. <laughs> Yeah, no, Harvey, you, you know when he came in, Harvey was like, mine, mine, yeah, he mine's was. coming. Well, a bit like that dog in Road Trip. I've never seen Road Trip. Oh, it's brilliant films. <laughs> Old man stoned off his head and dog starts talking to him. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, it's probably the Walls advert. Um, <laughs> right, so B.J. Saunders, um, well, I mean, it's, if, it's, if there's only one video that I remember seeing of it, there probably there could have been more, which was B.J. Saunders pulls up in a car. In a Rolls Royce. With, uh, right, quick question. Was it Jake Ball in the car with him? So I've been told it wasn't. So I've now decided not to believe what my eyes are telling me. <laughs> I mean, if it's not Jake Ball, it's a Jake Ball lookalike and I'll hire them for parties. Okay, so Billy Joe Saunders and Jake Ball's doppelganger pull up in a car with some people in the back, presumably. I believe well. it's, it's probably not him, but it sounds an awful lot like Kid Galahad. Probably a Kid Galahad sounder like. Uh, who B. Billy Jones has is really good at finding these people. Yeah, so yeah. Anyway. he's done really well. Yeah, it's- yeah. Um, but that's not all he's managed to do well here. He's managed to make himself look like an absolute scenic Tuesday by pulling up to a, a woman with an obvious drug, drug addiction. And then he proceeds to say to her stuff like, feel free to pad this out afterwards, but. Um, if you punch that bloke in the face over there, I'm going to give you something like five... No, no, no. If you punch that man over there, he's a paedophile. Oh, that's right. He's a Sorry, paedophile. So he's called a man a paedophile on the street. Yeah. Punch him. I know he's a paedophile. Um, and I'll give you something like five grams of 150 crack. quids worth of Sorry, right. Okay. Crack. Um, so then she goes and punches him and then they all laugh. And, and So anyway, I'll leave it with you and you go from there because I can't remember what happened towards the end of it. They basically drive off, don't they? They, they leave... 
Yeah, as she's going off, they say, oh, he's not a paedophile. And she goes back to apologise to him. Whilst he rightly has his say, like, you can't go around calling me that. And then they go, ha drive off. And they all drive off laughing, leaving this woman who's punched a man in the face and accused him of being a paedophile to fend for herself on the streets. Now, the board have to act on this. Because, as the Sky Hype Machine tells us, British boxing is booming right now. And Billy Joe's doing all that he can to really screw that up. Because this is something that just got... It got national media coverage. Yes. So, if it's not Jake Ball, and, you know, if I was managing Jake, I'd be issuing a statement saying whether it was or it wasn't, because everyone has now seen him. And I imagine when the board look at it, and they go, there are three board-registered people in this car. It's a problem because aren't South Yorkshire police now looking into this? I believe so. So actually, this, this is potentially a criminal matter. As it should be, inciting yeah. violence on the streets. Not only that, but also what, offering to sell drugs. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Like we're going through like a, like a drugs and sport crisis at the moment, and this is happening. It's, the problem you've got, if the board don't take action on this, as in proper action, I'm not talking a five grand fine I'm talking remedial action take his license off and ban him for six months as a result of this if they don't do it then you've just widened the scope significantly of what is acceptable before you lose your license <laughs> yeah that's true you have which is good for you <laughs> <laughs> it's very true but yeah you can do so much now up to the point of calling somebody a paedophile on the streets, telling somebody to punch somebody else, incite violence on the streets, film it so there's evidence, and you still don't lose that license. So you can do everything up to that and possibly beyond if Billy Joe doesn't get his license taken off him. But then but then the problem I have with this is Tyron Booth has lost his license, right? He was suspended for what he said about Scott Westgarth. Quite rightly too, right? But he, and I, and I, whether you agree with him or not, but at least he could sit there and go, this is why I said it. You lot may hate me if you want, but this is why I said it. So I don't agree with it, and I thought it was in bad taste. But I'm like, in, his, in his head, he had a reason. Didn't Peter Madonna lose his license for six months, three months? For, for, for sticking his head into Shane Singleton at a weigh-in. We've seen worse at weigh-ins. We've seen worse at press conferences. From Billy Joe Saunders as well. <laughs> well, yeah. His kid punched someone in the knackers. <laughs> yeah, so Peter Madonna lost his licence for a period of time for that. So that pales into insignificance. So now I'm looking at that going, we'll see, we'll see how serious the board are about enforcing behaviour standards. But, but now, now I'm beginning to look at that Ingle camp because as long as Billy Joe's there... Don't go. And, and I speak as someone who remembers what it was like around Brendan Ingle. And none of that stuff would have been tolerated. Like, whatever people said about Prince Nassim Hamed, and there's some bits where his ego got the better of him, you'd never have seen Naz do anything like that. Never. That's not shit that Brendan would have tolerated. So you're looking at that setup now, and you're like, is it a sign that the magic of the old Ingle gym's now gone? Because first you had Kel Brook, allegedly getting drunk and getting off with someone in a fucking airplane toilet. Now, I mean, doing drugs or whatever. Now you've got, you've got Billy Joe. What's next, man? Poor Liam Williams is just sat there playing chess and Scrabble going, how the hell have I ended up here? 
Listen, you know, anyone that knows Liam Williams, just tell him to head over to Chris Smedley. I mean, you get better quality service, man, and you're more likely to win stuff with him. Um, Tony Bellew is going to comprehensively outbox Alexander Usyk. I know he will. Johnny told me. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Um, did we speak about this last week, actually? Just, uh, I know. We, we didn't. Okay. I know, this is fresh. But here's, look, there should be something called Johnny Nelson Facts. Like, <laughs> it would be a brilliant book, wouldn't it? Nelson's column, I told you. But, but that's a column. I'm I making want, it. I want a whole book. Or I want a documentary. Not, not a giant marble column, you want a book. No, no, honestly, I, I, want, I want a documentary where... Johnny Nelson thinks stuff, right? And then goes and tests it scientifically. Like, I don't believe there's gravity. And he just goes, <laughs> he just goes there. And his mind gets blown. Like, he's like, no, no. It's just apples falling on his head. He's just, you're, you're not really bothered about this mine, the Bellew-Usyk fight. Because I'm really looking forward to it. And I must be honest, I just want to see Bellew lose. <laughs> I do. I want to see Usyk pummel him. I'll be interested in it nearer the time. I'm not that interested in it right now because, um, yeah, you, you're I, still you're still in AAJ mode, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it as a close fight, so I'm not that excited about it. You in whose favour? Usyk. Uh, I, I just oh god, I really hope that that's the case. I want Bell everyone you, said that with I hay. want Bell you to win. You'd, why? It's probably his last fight. And if nothing else, like, look, Bellew's a guy that's probably overachieved in his career. And he's, you know, he's kind of, he's done it the right and the wrong way simultaneously. So yeah, like he's the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde, isn't he? Like when you, when you talk to people who train with Bellew or have trained with Bellew, can't speak highly enough about him. Like great guy, brilliant guy a guy you'd go to war with. And then we see the madness at the press conferences and stuff. So we're like, ah. But I don't think Usyk is that, that kind of destructive monster. And Bellew is cute enough, smart enough and experienced enough that he can let at least one left hook go. Now, maybe I just want to see Usyk, much like I've said with Joshua, I want to see him go to hell and back. I don't know if Bellew's the guy to do it, Maybe he is. But I want to see him go to hell and back. I want to see him overcome adversity. And if he wins from that, I'll respect him. But what I saw against Gassiev was, I'll just say horseshit. It wasn't horseshit, but it was, it was like hitting a punch bag. Bellew's best win at Cruiserweight is against Makabu, who, as we know, hasn't gone on to do anything post that. And he hadn't really done an awful lot pre that. So there isn't, to me, that... Usyk's cleaned up the cruiserweight division through the series. And so, Bellew coming back down, Bellew never cemented himself as the the legitimate cruiserweight. He beat BJ Flores and then moved up to heavyweight. So, like, that's why it doesn't interest me that much. But don't get me, at the time, I will have an interest in it. But right now, I just see it as a fairly one-sided fight. Okay, uh, I want to touch on um, Tommy Martin. Hmm... Um, so had his he had his license revoked from BBBFC, yep, uh, for a bleed on the brain, and <clears throat> he has now got himself involved with the bare knuckle boxing 
I don't know what you'd call them, like uh, events company or whatever. Um, what do we know? What do we think? I've had the pleasure when Tommy was boxing still. So it was after the John Wayne Hibbert fight at the O2 that the bleed on the brain uh, occurred, was found out. I'm not sure. I've had the pleasure of spending quite a bit of time around Tommy in the past. Um, he's very good friends with lad Bradley Smith, who's one of Steve Goodwin's fighters. And so whenever Bradley was fighting, Tommy would come along. Um, whenever Bradley was doing a press day or whatever, Tommy would come along. Um, and Tommy's a lovely, likeable lad. And so boxing was his life. I think he was the youngest ever English champion. Um, highly talented, signed to Matchroom, kind of on the peripheries. He was never a, a major part of Matchroom. He was young enough, maybe he could have made it in the future, but I doubt. I think he was always going to be an undercard fighter, but he was in fun fights. Um, gets his bleed on the brain and... I know he struggled away from the ring to come to terms with not having a future in boxing. And so he's he's been involved. When that uh, KSI Logan Paul fight was on, he was involved training one of the undercard fighters. Did, he, you, did you interview him? I've interviewed Tommy before, yeah. On the old ring talk? Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, I've done a fair few bits with Tommy in the past. Um, he's involved with Vicky Ambriano. Um, I don't know how you pronounce it. Vic Ambriano, I think, over in Peterborough um, as part of his gym. He does lots of stuff still in the sport. And so he's come out and said he's going to do this bare-knuckle boxing, um, which is lunacy. Like, absolute lunacy. The lad has had a bleed on the brain. He's had his license revoked because of it. You see what happened to Nick Blackwell after his damage against Chris Eubank, and then he goes on and spars against Hassan Kakaldi and the damage that's caused. And Tommy has come out on social media saying, look, I realise the danger I'm putting myself in. If I die in that ring, like, don't feel sorry for me, don't do anything like that, Like, but I've got to do this for myself. <sighs> Tommy, like, it's not just about you. What if you end up in a permanent vegetative state on the back of this and you're looked after? You're not even 30 yet. Say you live till 80 and you're like in that state. Those loved ones around you have to see you like that for another 50 years, have to care for you, have to look after you, have to be the ones that take you for a piss when you need it, have to be the ones that look after everything to do with you. If that happened, if the worst happened, because that's worse than death for me. If death happens, people will will grieve for you if they can't grieve for you if you end up in that state they've got to care for you and grieve for you while you're living i would plead tommy anyone who's close to tommy anyone who can reach out to him family friend otherwise just do everything in your powers to try and stop him from going out and taking this bare knuckle fight maybe nothing bad happens but if nothing bad happens you know he's going to take the second one and if nothing bad happens in the second one, you know he'll take the third. It's just dicing with death all the way through. And he'll keep doing it until something tragic does happen. And then and then what? And then you're left with nothing. You're left with no legacy. You, like, do something good with the energy that you have, the powers that you still have within you. I know he's quite a religious man, I believe. So like, I don't understand religion personally. But if you're God-fearing, fucking go to that. Go to that place. But do something that takes you away from needing to get into a bare-knuckle boxing ring. And I appreciate it must be so hard walking away from the sport when you're that age and that's all you've ever known. And you think that's what your future is and it's ripped away from you. But this isn't the way to resolve that for him. Yeah, it comes a point where um, personal responsibility for one's health 
has actually becomes it's 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 no longer a decision you can make this is what i need to do for me because you're effectively putting others lives at risk and i don't mean that in a putting other people's deaths on the line but i mean like you sort of hinted at there if somebody has to look after you you effectively you burden them yeah, you do. And you, you effectively ruin their life in as much as not only have they got to look after you, but they've also lost you. Yeah. And 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 that is as tragic as it is frustrating. Um, there's plenty of people in this, and I speak somewhat from experience here, but there's plenty of people that find themselves in a, ver- in a certain um, mindset that their future is as X or Y, but most importantly, they've been institutionalized from the, their past. I.e., if you, you've been a boxer for 10, 12, 15 years and you see your life in the sport going forward, then it's going to be a big shock when that's ripped away from you. I myself, former soldier, when I came out, I found it extremely difficult to get back into the not only just adjust to normal life and not being told what to do all the time, but then also... Figure it, just figuring out life for myself was was very difficult. Yes, I it wasn't um, there was no medical lines that I had to step over and put other people at risk in order to sort of salvage myself, so to speak. But it's you have you have a duty to people around you to not put yourself in harm's way. But if you started well, saying to well, me when you left the army, if you came to me and said, "Martin, I miss it so much. I'm going to start going and doing paintball but without a mask." <laughs> I'd say, "No, you're fucking not, you idiot. Like you're not doing that. That's a stupid idea. It's your health you're putting at yeah, risk." But I won't feel alive unless I do. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm missing the bullets. But but here's the challenge, isn't it? When you're so deeply entrenched in something, it is who you are ultimately. So Tommy Martin was that boxer because whenever he walked around a show, people knew who he was. Yeah. Then you stop boxing and you're not in those circles anymore. So now people don't know who you are. Yeah. It's a fickle sport. Yeah. So all of a sudden, those those small hits of dopamine you got from the, what, Tommy? What, Geezer? Yeah, 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 mate, mate. Yeah, yeah, be at your next fight, mate. All of that stuff goes out the window. And also for most people, most boxers, they can mentally plan that I'm going to get out of the sport in five years' time. Tommy never had that opportunity. Well, even those that do struggle. You know, like when you... Because <clears throat> you'll get, you'll get ex-pros come down to the gym sometimes just to have a little hit out, a little loose. And then you talk to them and they go, struggled for five years after I retired. Because you, it's so woven in. It, I guess it's like the army. It's your life, you know? Your job is your job for eight or nine hours a day and it stops. In the army, it doesn't stop. You know, if you're wearing exercise or if you're actually like you were in the heat of battle, it doesn't stop. Boxing doesn't really stop. So then you're like, oh, I'm going to take you out of this thing because the only other people who will ever understand you are other boxers. Just like you can only really trade stories with other soldiers, Andy. Like You yeah. can tell us what happened, but we don't have the frame of reference for yeah, it to make yeah. sense. So for me, it's just a cool story. But there'll be a guy who gets all the nuances that you don't even have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you take that away from someone, now you're having to relearn everything. And then you're like, fuck this. It was when, you know, Calzaghi wanted to be an actor. Do you remember when he retired and he thought he'd get into yeah, acting? Yeah, yeah. And then he was like, I, I just sacked it off because 
I was shit at it and I couldn't accept that I'd never be as good as I was at boxing. So he was like, I, just wasn't, I didn't even bother anyway after that. And it's all those, it's just incredibly complex. But for me, I think Tommy Martin is being silly. I think he's being reckless. And part of me just thinks, oh, just go and do it then. If, if this is really where you're at as a human being, then go and do it. Like, I'm not here to save Tommy Martin. I'm not. Like, the risks are so obvious. Yeah. The danger is so obvious. It's not like, you know, it's not like he's saying, I want to go and play fucking roller derby, derby or whatever they call that. Even that's got a risk. Anything has In a risk life, to him. Yeah. He could get a bleed on the brain. If, if one of I understand is correct, if a car does an emergency stop and his brain shoots forward, that can trigger it too. He's, he's on that fine line where an emergency stop could trigger a bleed on the brain, but he could go and box for 12 rounds BKB and nothing happens. It's, the fact is we don't know. And those aren't odds you want to be playing. You're playing Russian roulette with your shit. And I, and I, I, I can't invest energy in someone that even wants to try and play that. But well, there's, there's two things that really bother me about it as well. One is those people on Facebook that are like, yeah, go on, Tommy, we'll get a ticket off you. Good luck, champ. Yeah. Like, you people need to fucking take a look at yourselves. Because fair play to Danny Connor on this one. Danny Connor jumped on every single one of them. Like, you serious? Are you serious? Um, <laughs> and then the other one is this bare knuckle boxing organization. What the fuck kind of cowboy organization is that that will allow somebody who's had a bleed on the brain and had their boxing license taken away from it will allow them to come on and box a bare knuckle fight on their show? Uh, I'd love to see their insurance documents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, it's, um. Look, I'm sure he, he's not looking for anyone's sympathy, given what you said about what he has said about it. But you certainly won't get any. It's a pl- from this is me. just a plea. Like someone play this to Tommy, yes. um, and I'm sure he won't listen to it. He's got no reason to listen to us. But yeah, somebody, hopefully, one day somebody will get through to it. Look, when you're in the midst of something, I get it. Like, I, and I can only speak from my experience. And we have made a sort of um, a, a, a comparison. When you're in the midst of it, it just feels like it's you're submerged and there's no way out of it. But when you come out the other side of it and you look back, what you don't want to be is faced with consequences that are permanent. And putting yourself in a position that, you know, if I was speaking to Tommy, putting yourself in a position where you can be faced with consequences you have to live with forever based on your mentality, which you'll know yourself at this point is... Is you you know you're not in the best place because of how unhappy you'll feel. Well, that's that's the worst thing you can do because looking back later down the line, if you've had no consequences, you still look back with a bit of shame and think, "Wow, what was I thinking back then?" You know, all of us have done it. But when you've got to look back, feel like that, and faced with life changing consequences, that's just a heartbreaker. And yeah, and hopefully. You know, fingers crossed, nothing does happen to you. But I can guarantee nothing will happen to you in a ring if you don't step on the first place. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, there is actually one more thing to talk about before we leave. And apart from a couple of questions. Um, but no, I'm leaving before the questions. Yeah, so I've got to get back before I get noticed I'm not there. Um, 
But the Brentwood card on Friday. Um, Brentwood card, MTK show. I think there was some. I mean, there's obviously some matchroom overspill on there. Uh, so look, in terms of kind of names on there, I was disappointed that Dan Aziz wasn't on for a start. So let me just address that. You know, first off, I'm gutted for him because he'd been on a really good roll, and that would have been the kind of high profile card where he could have stood out amongst his peers. So guys like Jake Ball and Danny Dignam are his peers, and it would have been good for Dan to you know to to light up the show and just let people know that you know he's one to look out for. But that was where. Let me see. I'm trying to think, just in terms of performances that I caught that I was impressed with, Louis Lin as always. Um, first podcast to talk about him before people start, you know, writing all kinds of dumb shit in their interviews about how they discovered him in some cave in deepest, <laughs> darkest Nepal. But he 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 looks like someone special. Now I know there are rumors around the training setup and all that, but. As a talent and as a man with a work ethic, I don't think you can question Louis Lin. I was always disappointed he didn't get into the GB squad. He deserved to a merit. The the kids, I mean, he's he's fucking insane. But when it comes to fight night, the kid, he can perform, and he's a guy that people should get excited about. And normally in that sort of his weight category, I don't get that excited. But he's a good one. Uh, Danny Dignam got the win. I don't know where Danny goes. I like him. I like watching Danny. I think as a Southpaw, he's a he's an old school classic Southpaw, which we don't see very many of now. So he's he's pretty good at that. But he has very little forward momentum at the moment. Uh Jake Ball was on there, back to winning ways. That was an odd stoppage. That was a really odd stoppage. Did you see it? No. So uh it was fighting this bloke who um they kept comparing him. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, oh, the drunken um, Augustus. Yeah, that's it. Emmanuel Augustus. Um, they kept comparing his opponent to him, just because he was a bit like he kept swaying about. What, and then what, was he Sky Sports awkward? Yeah, although they had Spencer Fear on and Richie Gray doing the uh, the commentary for How it. many boxers from the 50s did Spencer reference? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I lost count. I ran out of fingers, toes, eyelashes. Um, but, yeah, no, quite. He was all right, actually, Spencer. He was all right on it. He wasn't too bad at all. Um, it was just a really odd stoppage. You had the guy against the rope, and the guy was just covering up. He wasn't throwing back. That was his problem. But he was in no peril no danger whatsoever the ref just jumped in <laughs> um i think jake could have taken him out anytime he liked but he he was choosing not to almost and then the ref stopped it anyway it was just it was odd it'll be interesting when he fights craig uh i think that will be a very very interesting fight just for the sort of the the blue chip versus the blue collar. So the guy that, you know, kind of went up the right way and then Craig who's kind of grafted his way up and then just tactically because I think in this one, Jake's going to have to show himself as an attacking fighter. I think that's how you secure your place in matchroom because this pay-per-view has shown that Hearn will start to lose faith in people who don't drive pay-per-view by. He'll do it live on camera as well. <laughs> <laughs> during the fight <laughs> oh, man, when he buried Okoli yeah yeah that was fair play to him for yeah. that like he didn't hold back during that interview 
Uh, I was surprised. Um, shout out to Andy Scott because he did ask, um, Styles make fights rhetoric is wearing a bit thin with a Coley. At what point should a fighter be disqualified for constant clinching? Um, but we did cover that to begin with. The, look, I said it. The guy lost three points, right? If Askin had been any good, he would have won that fight. Just on those three point deductions. Um, could AJ survive on the back foot like he did last night against uh, fighting on the back foot like he did last night um, against Wilder? No. Richard Wilder's Heitler. arms are longer than his. He has to come forward. Uh, and what? Wilder loves it when you come forward. Remember what he did to Ariola when Ariola just came boring in. He just held him and did his little dance with him. And then just hit him with an uppercut. Uh, what are the dynamics between Eddie and Freddie Cunningham? Riku Heikler, again. I'm going to go now, by the way. like I need to get back and pretend I've not been away. So you lot can finish up questions. Right, fair enough. I'm escaping. I'll let you know during the week uh, when the divorce is due. <laughs> <laughs> Later, my friends. See you later, <laughs> mate. <laughs> um, what, so... So just for the people who understand, so Eddie Hearn is essentially the promotional side of Anthony Joshua. And Freddie Cunningham is essentially the, they call him chief commercial officers now, don't they? That's what they're known as in the sort of startup world. And it seems to be a thing now where you're separating almost like your front and your back office functions in your leadership team. So Eddie Hearn's going to do all of the, the bombast and the noise and the generating interest in Anthony Joshua, while Freddie Cunningham's doing the corporate partnership stuff in the background, making sure that revenue keeps coming in for Team AJ. So there are going to come points where there are inherent conflicts between Hearn and, and Freddie, because what Freddie needs is, he needs, you know, I think they'll talk about this, he needs Joshua to do a lot of road work, a lot of visits to sponsors and all, a lot of corporate work, which is quite draining. I think Lewis Hamilton offers an interesting view on this where he says it's probably the biggest pain of his professional life. While Eddie and the boxing side of things will want Joshua to be training because one loss is fatal to the whole model. But I think ultimately, Hearn holds sway. And I don't think that sits well with someone like a Freddie Cunningham. Uh, you know, just from what I know of him, he's a smart enough guy. But at some point, he's going to feel that he's really driving the bottom line on AJ. And then we'll see. But if there was a real conflict, they would have pulled Joshua away from her in a matchroom. So I guess it's an uneasy alliance for now. Uh, final question, again, from Riku Heikler asks... Will Matrim be nervous about having another Wembley show given the comparatively low ticket sales? Yeah, don't believe the numbers they tell you. They didn't sell that many tickets for this. And you know they didn't sell that many tickets because there were no tickets being hawked around on StubHub because you could get whatever you wanted. There were people buying tickets yesterday to go to the show. So it wasn't a commercial success. Will you be nervous? Here's the problem. All the rhetoric that came out of Barry Hearn up until this point was, we'll fight Wilder in 2020. That was what the rhetoric was. That's when the fight will be at its biggest. Okay, fair enough. You got Phil Wembley on the 13th of April. Does Dinian White fill it? Yeah, 
conceptually, if Dylan had never fought Joshua before, we'd be like, absolutely. But they fought before and it wasn't a hard fight for Joshua. So I'm like, what will be different this time? Yes, Dylan will be better, but so will Joshua. So whatever. I'm not, I'm not that sold on it. And then it looks like you're going to have a Huey Fury mandatory in 2019. So there are two fights that the fans would happily fast forward on until we get to Wilder. So I don't, I, they're in a big hole. And I'm sure Wemby are looking at that going, yeah, we thought the return will be better than it actually was. Let's get another NFL game here. Uh, that, my friends, is the end of the podcast, unless Terry has any other any other business to... Yes, I do. So I want to say congratulations to young Anel Massey, who's now signed with Steve Goodwin. Andy, you got to stay and listen to this. Now, so... And now Massey. I wasn't going anywhere, Terry. Great, I have no idea what you mean. Great young lady, good friend of mine. So she signed with Steve Goodrich. She's going to box at lightweight. So that's three women that Steve has now. Nicola Adams, Sam Smith, and now Nell Massey. Um, class, you know, I wanted to take her time, learn her trade, become the best athlete she possibly can. But she's got the right mindset. Like, I, I'm, I'm just happy for her. She's had a hell of a 12 months. I know where she was this time last year. And she's turned her life around in so many ways. And, you know, like when you're involved in boxing, they're the stories that put a smile on your face. But she is absolutely brilliant. So congratulations to her. We'll be making a debut on December 1st. So when Taylor Jones fights Linus Adolfia, who actually at the Brentwood card, they had their first face off. So that's building up nicely. I'm just really hoping I don't get called up to Vegas or anywhere for Fury versus Wilder. So I can go up there and, you know, cheer on Linus, cheer on Nell, and maybe a few other people who'll be on that card. So that's our, that's probably the shortest segment of AOB we've ever had. So, um, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed Martin's parachuting. Should we listen to what he, what he was going to say about, um, um, the Joshua fight. Yeah. Because we didn't actually play it because he was... Which one was it? He just gate crashed. Um, I'll leave you boys to discuss the Joshua fight in depth. But I really enjoyed <laughs> oh, it. I thought he got hurt at the end of that first round, which made it a far more interesting fight because he, he had to step back a little bit through rounds two and three. But just to say, what a finish. Like That was a great finish. And I know... A lot of people, probably myself included over time, have said that he doesn't have that big knockout power. Well, last night he showed that he does, and if he times it right, it's there. Um, I'm surprised that Povetkin was allowed to get up and go on, but fair play to Joshua. I thought he did a very, very good job on him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he probably deserves more credit than I've given him for and we've given him for in the past. So, yeah, congratulations. I thought it was a really, really good performance, professional performance, but with the excitement factor as well. I don't know what this one is, but I might as well play it as well. Finally, a shout-out for uh, Linus Yudofi and Taylin Jones oh, making that yeah. fight for December the 1st. Fair play to both lads. I know we spoke about it last week. I think there were question marks as to whether or not it would go ahead. Um, but December the 1st, York call. I think that's just a brilliant fight, a brilliant fight. And... Don't forget, Tay didn't have to take that fight. He's choosing to take that fight. He had a, a British title eliminator laid up um, that he's turned down to take this fight. 
So, again, fair play to him for doing so. I know Linus bang up for it, but December the 1st at York Hall, that would be an absolutely brilliant, brilliant evening. And there were a lot of other fights that are working on to get on that card too, so uh, keep an eye. <laughs> Poor bastards make such a cracking fight like that and they're going to get shown up by the Wilder Fury fight, if it happens. Yeah. Um, although, saying that, that'll be in Vegas, right? Are we, are we assuming it's going to be? Vegas or maybe the Staples. But it's... I think that there are probably three options, to be honest with you. But There's, it's all going to be in the States. Yeah. So you could easily go to both shows. Well, say go to both shows. You could even easily go to one show and watch the other. Yeah, You wouldn't absolutely. have to choose. I just want, If they do it in New York, I might go out. Oh. Right. Thank Cheers. you very much for listening. We Cheers, are guys. off ski. Cheers. I did it up, I did it up, I did it up, I did it up.